Good afternoon, everyone. Welcome to the January 26th episode of Poets and Muses, where we chat with poets about their inspirations. I'm your host, Imogen Arate. You can follow us at poetsandmuses.com and via social media on Instagram, Twitter, as well as SoundCloud under Poets and Muses. You can also subscribe to our weekly newsletter either at poetsandmuses.com or at the upper right-hand side of the Poets and Muses SoundCloud page. With us today is Julian de la Cruz, with whom I will be discussing his poem, Grave Digger, and my poem, Third Party. Before we do that, however, I'm going to go over all the poetry events taking place in the Phoenix metropolitan area during the week of January 27th. On Monday, January 7th, from 6 to 7.30 p.m., the Virginia G. Piper Center for Creative Writing will be hosting Right Here, Right Now pop-up workshop with Fargo Tabaki called Revolutionary Poetry at Changing Hands Phoenix, which is at 300 West Camelback Road in Phoenix. From 8 to 10 p.m., Phoenix Firebird events will be hosting their weekly Open Mic Mondays at Smooth Brew Coffee, which is at 504 East Roosevelt Street in Phoenix. Signing up to get on the mic is between 7 and 7.30 p.m. On Tuesday, January 28th, from 6 to 8 p.m., Connect and Heal will be hosting its weekly poetry writing workshop in Room 101 of the Chandler Community Center, which is at 125 East Commonwealth Avenue in Chandler. From 6.30 to 8 p.m., the Virginia G. Piper Center for Creative Writing, the Pat Tillman Veterans Center, and the Office for Veteran Military Academic Engagement will be hosting their Veterans Writing Circle with Marco Pina, which will be taking place at the Piper Writer's House at 450 East Tyler Mall in Tempe. You can contact m.mcdonald at asu.edu. That's m.mcdonough at asu. From 6.30 to 9.30 p.m., Nocturnal the Poet will be hosting his monthly The Art of Justice open mic and art show at First Church, which is at 1407 North 2nd Street in Phoenix. The entrance is at the back of the church from the parking lot. Signing up to get on the mic starts at 6 p.m. From 8 to 11 p.m., King Kong will be hosting his The Underground Experience at La Flor de Calabaza, at 705 North 1st Street, Suite 110 in Phoenix. Signing up to get on the mic starts at 8 p.m. On Wednesday, January 29th, from 5 to 10 p.m., Walt Richardson II will be hosting his Walk-In Wednesdays Open Mic Night at the Tempe Center for the Arts, which is at 700 West Rio Salado Parkway in Tempe. As always, from 5 to 6 p.m., Youth performers will go on, and 6 to 10 p.m., all other performers will go on. Signing up for the first part starts at 4.45, and signing up for the second part starts at 5 p.m. From 6.30 to 8 p.m., Equality Arizona will be hosting their monthly Queer Poetry Salon, featuring Anna Flores and Megan Atencia this time, at Palabras Bilingual Bookstore, which is at 1738 East McDowell Road in Phoenix. On Thursday, January 30th, from 6 to 9 p.m., Fasso's Pizza will be hosting its weekly open mic night at 3131 East Thunderbird Road in Phoenix. 
From 8 to 11 p.m., Quinton Oni will be hosting his weekly open mic night at Joe Bot Coffee and Bar at 333 East Roosevelt Street in Phoenix. From 9.45 p.m., Atlas St. Cloud will be hosting his weekly poetry writing workshop at the Welcome Diner, which is at 929 East Pierce Street in Phoenix. On Friday, January 31st, from 6 to 7.30 p.m., ASU's MFA program will be hosting Jay Dodd featuring Mabel A. Lion Poetry Award winner Anna Flores at Palabras Bilingual Bookstore, which is at 1738 East McDowell Road in Phoenix. On Saturday, February 1st, from 11 a.m. to 12.30 p.m., Shirts Leona will be leading the second of her five spoken word workshops called The Art of Slam Poetry. This will be taking place at the Phoenix Center for the Arts, which is at 1202 North 3rd Street in Phoenix. From 7 to 9 p.m., Tamika Sanders, or Dr. T, will be hosting her I Got the Last Word Poetry Contest at Aroma Mocha Coffee, which is at 506 East Western Avenue, Suite 103 in Avondale. And now let us turn to our poet guest of the week, Julian De La Cruz. Hi, Julian. Thank you very much for coming on to Poets and Muses. Hi, Imogen. Thank you for having me. So you brought with you the poem Gravedigger. But before we get into that, I would love for you to tell us a little bit about yourself. Yeah, sure. So I'm 28 years old, and I currently attend the creative writing program at ASU Mm -hmm. in the poetry track. After I graduated undergrad, I, I was studying creative writing. I was working in publishing for a bit as an intern. I was interning for a while, and then... I realized um, I didn't want to do any editorial work. <laughs> um, I'd rather be a writer. Um, the last place I was at, I was at Catapult, um, which is like a fairly recent publishing venture in New okay. York City. Um, okay. And I was reading books for them. I was just rejecting books for like four months straight. And I was just like, I can't. <laughs> I can't do this anymore. <laughs> so I made the choice to pursue this and... I'm here now, yeah. And you must read pretty fast then. Yes, yeah. I I had to come, I had to knock out like 10 submissions a day, but like they wanted you to do like at least 100 pages of like each, so like, yeah. 100 pages? Yeah. You can do like a history side major, (laughs) right? (laughs) I mean, with that reading speed, it's amazing. Yeah. I'm so jealous. I can never do that. And I want to be able to read all the books in the world, but with my speed. (laughs) Yeah. Very much a snail. You can see my trail of slime as I'm over a book. (laughs) Oh, slowly digesting. (laughs) And how did you come to poetry? When did you start writing? Oh, man. Um, I started when I was 12. And I think I was in the seventh grade, and teachers would assign poems to read. And when I would sit down with a poem, I it just wouldn't really make sense. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I found this poem called Mushrooms by Sylvia Plath. Mm-hmm. And all of a sudden, something just clicked in my mind, and it felt like poetry was uh, this kind of like message in a bottle kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And I felt understood, and I felt less alone. I, I was a pretty lonely preteen <laughs> with terrible self-esteem and all the um 
hard emotions <laughs> of someone having a complex experience. But mm-hmm. um, yeah, that poem really changed me. And I wanted to do that to someone else. Right. Yeah, right. for someone else. Right, yeah. right. Two as well. Yeah. Two and four. Yeah. <laughs> Two and or. <laughs> All the options. Yeah, exactly. Pick and choose. Mix and match. Well, I actually started at around the same time as you. I, I can't oh. exactly remember when, but it was around between years. I don't remember what it was that spurred me on to writing poetry. There is that in, in my cultural history, but... I've interviewed all these poets, and everybody comes from it at different ages, at different angles, from different angles. And so it's always interesting to hear how yeah. people come at it. Yeah, I totally agree with that. I, I always tell people that there doesn't seem to be a timeline for creativity or success. And I think yeah. that, like, a poem could be a very mysterious thing. Because, like, there, there are a lot of poems that I've started writing, like, years ago that I've only finished now. Wow, okay. Sometimes it's just I had to have a certain experience, have had to come in contact with something that was like inspiring that like helped me finish. Right. Yeah. Yeah. That's really interesting. Yeah, I've heard that as well. But most people, they like have one or two poems where they're like, I don't know how to finish this, you know, like something was missing. Usually my poems, when I'm done, I feel like it's done. But years later, I might read it and like, oh, I'm going to change this, you know, something that I thought was good actually was off. Mm-hmm. So I don't know if you have that retroactive. Oh, yeah, I do. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Which is why, like, I, I just, I have the tendency of holding on to work for a very long time before mm-hmm. trying to send it out into the right, world. Right, right, right. Yeah. Which is good. I mean, and especially since you've seen the publishing world, you know how kind of the internal workings of that, how many people as well as manuscripts they reject, right? We tell us a little bit about that. Enlighten us. Yeah, because sure. I don't think many people have seen that. Totally, story. yeah. Um, what, what, what specifically, like, do you uh, want to know about? Well, since we, you know, concentrate on poetry, I know you, you did more creative fiction, like, editing, right? Yeah, yeah, I was doing fiction for that. Yeah. yeah. But if you have any things that you think our poets, our listeners, would be interested in finding out, I mean, both poetry and creative fiction, because a lot mm-hmm. of the writers do. Mm, yeah it's kind of like a mystifying and bewildering experience just because you're on this side of the computer right and you're submitting something and you don't even know like who's reading this stuff you know like like you know what is their educational attainment you know what is the aesthetic that the magazine is like actually looking for right right and like the person on the other side of the screen like i've heard editors say things like i can respect a piece of writing but there's a difference between like knowing something's good and actually liking something that is also good. Mm. You know, does does that make sense? Yeah. So I think I'm hearing what I'm hearing is that the editors will enjoy something, but only publish the ones where they think it's kind of outstanding in their mind. Is that is that is that? It's it's more like they can recognize when a poem is really great, but that doesn't mean they like it. Yeah. Oh, okay. But what would they publish? Would they publish what would they like or would they publish what they think is great? So there are kind of like two ways to approach it. If you're like high up enough in the chain of command, you're just going to publish whatever you like. You know, like right, right, like right. you're setting the aesthetic right. boundaries of the publication. And like people underneath you are beholden to learn what that aesthetic is and to, right, you know, right. this is what we're trying to champion in this magazine. Right. 
a lot of the good advice I've received is really spend time with the publications you're submitting to and just like you have to make sure that your work is in conversation with what's appearing on that website or that print journal yeah 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 yeah. like dating yeah it is like dating (laughs) yeah yeah so you know it's it's you know <laughs> what we need is uh, what is that speed dating thing for publications. Yeah, because <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's so. I was just talking with a very young poet. Uh, she's only fourteen, mm. and she has good work. Her mom was telling me that she's been submitting and submitting and getting all these rejections. And as you know, there's no feedback, especially now when people are doing like submittable, and yeah. not even in the olden days when you were like writing letters. And, yeah. So it's, you know, it's a job in itself to get published. It's a whole different beast from just, like, writing a poem. Yes, <laughs> Like, it yes. just feels completely different. Like, there's, yeah, it's really strange. It's a, it's a strange thing to send your work out. Yeah, yeah, it is. And especially given how long everything takes, all the publications take weeks and months. And especially the ones where you can't do simultaneous submission. You're just like... And uh, now we're <laughs> <laughs> you know? yeah, you're yeah. kind of like just hovering. And if if you're not a very prolific poet as well, you're like, that's my best word. <laughs> <laughs> like, what am I supposed to do with this? Yeah. yeah. So it's, yeah. it's a lot of frustrations. Yeah. But that's that's good to know. Thank you. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I think I think it's also true that especially with larger publications, a lot of the time you'll be reaching people who are on the lower run of the ladder yeah which means that even if they like your work they might not be in the power to publish it exactly right yeah which again is very frustrating but just keep on trying people (laughs) keep on trying you just gotta be tenacious about the whole thing Yeah, yeah yeah i think like once you're being amplified by the right voices i think things have a way of working out yeah, 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 it's kind of a snowball effect, isn't it? It's mm-hmm. like one you kind of just build one on top of the other, and you you have to say to the next publication you're submitting, oh, and I've been published by this, and I've been published by this, and you kind of build on it, right? Mm-hmm. right. Cool. Yeah. Well, so you were had mentioned something about you know being um, unfortunately a very solitary child. Yes. <laughs> yes, and part of it is because of the complication of your personal life and, and I guess identity is part of it, mm-hmm. and it's very apparent in the piece of work that you brought with you. And so, if you'd like to read that, and then we can get into it. Sure. Yeah. Cool. So this piece is called Grave Digger. My visitor says he likes the dick. That picture of pigeon, the Oregon sky, its puffiness above the bookcase I pretend to own, full of colorful books, wonderful books, astute books you both published yourselves. He is a graveyard worker. I tell him you're my sister. I'm caring for chinchillas. I tell him I'm a nurse for the withered and torn and the small gray things and his eyes shine, Oregon stars. I kiss him like I want to eat. In the shower, he likes to make shapes in the beads of our cleanliness. In the dark, he is endless and never-endingly smooth and yielding his mouth up to mine. I shut the lantern off. Bill Evans plays. The moon is white and the air is overflowing with our wispy breaths as your picture sits inside its notebook. And as the moon climbs away, I'm still hiding you from him, my fingers interlocking with his long brown hair like rings yielding acceptances and more platitudes, 
while the chinchillas dust themselves, filling the room with a smoke that would make me sneeze and cry if you arrived home now, or if he found that picture of you in the bikini, a thin white girl, the aperture in the camera tinged with amber, or you with pigtails, that tensile strength in the legs, and the folded up pictures of your youth as ballerina, the ones I hid beneath the couch in the room where you taught me how to turn and swerve my brown legs. All your memorabilia in the locked jewel boxes and treasure-filled letters I hid away, which would have whirled him around, will not warm me the way he warms me, the way I warm him with arms as strong as shovels. On a couch with quilted pillows you once made, he brushes his fingers through my hair, soft as the grass of graves, or of the fur of chinchillas expectantly looking up, awaiting your return from Utah. Somewhere in me is the photographer making a corpse of this moment, because it's hard enough to find someone to love my earth color. Thank you. So there's a lot to unpack there. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, there is. <laughs> yeah. So let's start with the basics. Like, when did you write it? I started writing this maybe a year ago. Okay. Yeah. It's pretty new then. Yeah, it is. Is it of some a memory that's a long time ago or not? It's a very recent memory, yeah. Okay. okay. Yeah. Hmm. It was good then. Worthy of a poem. Pretty good. Yeah. Do you mind letting us know what inspired you to write this? Yeah. I was pet sitting for a friend of mine, and um, she has this like really nice apartment. <laughs> um, and I was pet sitting for uh, her chinchillas while she was away with her husband. And I had met someone that wanted to hang out. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> but uh, I had this really strange like reaction to tell him that like I was the owner of the apartment, mm-hmm. and like. Pretending to be someone that you're not was just a very intense experience for me. <laughs> right, right. Which is interesting. It's very layered, right? Yeah. Given the backlash against the LGBTQ community mm-hmm. and maybe the feeling that it is engendering of being shoved back into the closet. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I think it's also like millennial despair too. Because, like, being 27 and, like, not having your own place and living with your mom, mm-hmm. you know, like, like, that was kind of, like, my situation for right. a while. And, right. like, I just had a lot of complicated feelings about, like, my lack of access to, like, a well-paying job. And, right. and so it makes sense why, like, I would try to, you know, yeah. pretend to be someone that I'm not in this yeah. moment that, like, does it matter in the long run? Like, I never saw this person ever again. Right, right. <laughs> so, yeah, there's, there's definitely, like, a lot of that in there, I think. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, it was really interesting to me because I picked up, again, while you're reading it now, that it was a couple, but it was only mentioned once, and I wasn't sure what that was. And then the rest of it, there were some oblique references to age. Mm-hmm. And... You know, even the first time I heard it or the second time I read it when you sent it to me, I wasn't sure who she was. Right. And I had thought maybe she might have been your mom or might have been a girlfriend. Mm. And that, because there are still men who do not come out or maybe they're bi and they sometimes find a preference yeah. later on. And it's it's shifting, right? It's not a, a firm ground. And 
terms of both orientation as well as identity. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. Um, so it was really interesting to me the the poem and how she's ever present. Yeah. And now, now that you told me about that, this is a couple. It's really interesting. I mean, did you make a conscious decision? I mean, how did you decide to keep her prominent in the poem and leave her husband out? <laughs> <laughs> there was like one mention. That was it. Hmm. Maybe it's just that I have so much more of a relationship to her than okay. like than I do to him. That like she just felt more. Important, but also there's also like the the race aspect of it that I play up. Like she's a white girl who like did who was like a ballerina, and like yes. I'm a Dominican dark skinned like <laughs> young man, and like yes. there's no possible way. Like if that person who was visiting me had seen her picture, which like there were pictures of her around, they right. were just like kind of hidden. <laughs> um, he would have made that connection really fast. Right, <laughs> just right, like right. so, that's part of like the precarity of the poem is like. There are all these opportunities for like this person to find out what my real identity is. Right, right, right. Yeah. Yeah, which again is interesting because for somebody who is not in that situation, like me hearing it, and I could just try to figure out who is this person because to me you're light enough that you know you could be mixed, and also mm-hmm. the Latin X community to me is one of the most diverse communities, oh, yeah. and so Absolutely. there's a lot of mixing in background so mm-hmm. just from the fact that she, you said she was a ballerina you know like the quilt of pillows that she made and that she taught you how to twirl in your brown legs it sounded like youth and so at some point I had thought oh is that his mom what is the relationship there that's so interesting yeah because huh. there were again you know oblique references to age and to timelines and you also talked about how the picture tinged her obviously now with all the filters you can do sepia very mm-hmm. easily mm-hmm. but sepia is also associated with older photographs from the like 50s and stuff right yeah yeah, yeah. which would actually make you much older than you are <laughs> <laughs> yeah. but still this character that's floating in the background just in the like curiosity she engenders, it almost make her the main character, despite mm-hmm. you having this incredibly, you know, romantic. I found her character to be just like the mystery aspect. I probably just like mysteries also. Mm, yeah. She's like, I need to know. <laughs> <laughs> but how did you feel about her? I mean including her because you could have written this poem without her in it and it would have been much more about how your interactions with him on a much more yeah so i think the way that i wrote this poem like i was writing to her actually Mm -hmm. because there's that line i tell him you are my sister Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, you know so like the whole time I'm, i'm i'm addressing her because like i have this fascination with like confession and it's just something that, like, I do a lot in my work. And, like, mm-hmm. there's this, like, a magnetic pull when, like, you can address a poem to, like, a certain someone. Right, right. Right? And, like, it allows for all kinds of interesting things to pop up, I think. Right, yeah. right. Like, imagine conversation. Yes. Right? Yeah. yeah. And that sort of goes back to what you talked about in your childhood being a sol- more solitary, having a more solitary childhood. Yes, right? yes. Yeah, and you always want to find that sort of kindred spirit that you can say certain things to. Yeah. 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 
you made an amazing connection for my work and my life that I just like <laughs> that I just like never looped back around to that. Like yes, like the like um I think imagined conversations that mm. that phrase. Yeah. Yeah, I think yeah, that has everything to do with my loneliness. Yeah. yeah. I don't know if you want to talk about the whys of your mm. solitary childhood. <laughs> you want to dig into that? Go ahead. We do dark. Have you have you heard the episodes? We do dark. <laughs> yeah, I guess you know. There's like the lack of acceptance because, like, growing up in the '90s and like early 2000s, like there wasn't really like I, I just had a lot of experiences where I was being excluded just because of my sexuality and mm-hmm. you know one time I <laughs> I like I went to get my honor roll certificate mm-hmm. and um people booed me off the stage just for like my sexuality <laughs> just because I was gay what? yeah it was pretty ridiculous <laughs> tri-state yeah I know you don't yeah. think of it in the tri-state area you yeah know? but was it was it a verbs urban area Wow. Yeah. Yeah, because yeah, you know, I've definitely encountered you know racism mm-hmm. and sexism and you know things that you don't necessarily associate with New York, New Jersey. Yeah, especially. I think machismo is a pretty terrible problem. Uh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. That's too bad. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm sorry. Yeah, it's alright. Um, things, things like that. You know, just like struggles with depression and right, like all that, right, all right. that jazz. Well, yeah. yeah, if you don't feel like the people are accepting you for you, it's, it's especially as a child, I um, talked about it uh, with somebody else uh, mm-hmm. recently, about not being accepted and then feeling internalizing, just trying to find out the why, what, what it is about yourself that's quote-unquote not right. You know? Yeah, and that's the why that's like central to this poem. <laughs> yeah, yeah, because again, there's a lot of hiding going on. Yeah. And it's, like, it's not necessary. Mm-hmm. At the same time, it's almost, it feels like, so another scenario in my head, and you can you can kind of tell the person I am, like, my imagination, <laughs> <laughs> just from that. Because, again, I was thinking that one of the possibilities, it could be that you are in this, I still don't know when you came out. And so it could be one of those relationships we, where you actually had a girlfriend, but mm, yeah. you were exploring your own sexuality on, on the side when she wasn't around, which still happens. Yeah, totally. Yeah. I think it can still speak to that experience. It, it, it could be general. Like, the poem could still be general enough to get people to reflect on all those things. Yeah, yeah. yeah there's a lot of that element to it, and it's very layered. And that's what I, I, I loved about it, is that you can, you can look at it from so many different angles and just, you know, keep... Asking you questions. <laughs> did you did you have a favorite part of the poem? When I first heard it, it was how you tie back into the fact that he's a grave digger. Mm, yeah. And when I read it, it was more about your relationship with her. Mm, yeah. Yeah. So each time I encountered the poem or I had an interaction with the poem, it was different. And this time, of course, I'm like, hey. A couple. What happened to him? What did you do to him? (laughs) I disappeared him. (laughs) Right, which is very interesting, right? Because she's almost, as I said, I felt like she was, um, you know, parts of it she felt like a mother figure. Parts of it she felt like a girlfriend. And sometimes there's very little difference between those two. 
depending on how different romantic relationships. Sometimes that is very apparent. It's sort of like almost a Saturday Night Live skit where everybody else can see that that girlfriend is just like his mother, <laughs> and but he doesn't see it. <laughs> you know. <laughs> so I really like that part of it, and mm-hmm. like that every time I go back, there's something else mm-hmm. to be like. Wait a minute. <laughs> yeah. And when did you know? about your sexuality when did you figure uh, out? I came out at the age of 12 but I think I knew just like way earlier than that okay. yeah that's, well for you at least that's good because you knew and you didn't yeah I had to use it as a marketing chip for therapy <laughs> um, I was like mom I'm gay I need therapy to get, <laughs> to get through this like, yeah. please invest in therapy for me I'm having a very hard time yeah. Yeah, yeah, I kind of used it as extortion to, <laughs> to work on my, my emotional self. So. Uh, <laughs> yeah. But did it work? Yeah. It did. Good, good, good. I because, got the therapy. Good. And, and, you know, like, because you, it was such a lonely experience because of this machismo culture that yeah. I guess you, you were steep in, it's good to have that to, to lean on, right? Mm hmm. You can at least you can count on every once in a while to go to somebody who has been trained in this, although in the nineties. <laughs> <laughs> right, yeah. <laughs> was that a good relationship at least? It didn't last too long, um, but it it was helpful. It was helpful. That's good. Yeah. That's good. Yeah. yeah. It's really good to have that. I don't have a lot of interactions with Dominican culture mm, yeah. um in the Trice Day area. Apart from food. Like, <laughs> yeah. like I so would, Washington Heights. <laughs> Bronx. Yes, Bronx. the Bronx actually. Yeah. yeah, it's amazing because I I was taking care of my friend's pets once and I was in the Bronx and I was just like roaming around. I was like, when do you get to go to the Bronx? It's like people don't think of the Bronx as New York, okay? It's the it's such a horrible stereotype. But the Bronx has some Beautiful architecture, as <laughs> yeah. well as yeah. a, a lot of different cultural aspects, cultural of offerings, different murals, um, a lot of history, you know, layers of history, immigrants coming in and out of the neighborhood. And I got the best fungal. <laughs> I love that. I love that. Are you kidding me? It was so good. Yeah. So yeah. I hope to get it. Because That's I haven't amazing. had that. Yeah, I missed that. <laughs> so the poem I picked to read with you, I actually wrote it in reaction to yours, but from my own experience. Wow, that is that is really yeah. It was like I as soon as like you sent me your poem, I was like I know exactly why she picked this. Like I knew exactly <laughs> why. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And it's called Third Party. So. But can I tell you something? Yeah, yeah, please. I realized on my Uber trip over here that, um, so I started working on a new poem, and that poem was in reaction to the one you sent me. Awesome. <laughs> this is awesome. Yeah, I was like, I was reflecting on this poem that I recently started writing, and I was like, oh, wow, like Imogen really sparked this poem for me. Yeah, yeah. Yes! I'll send it to you when it's done. Absolutely. Yeah, Yeah. that's why. That's why when I sent it to you, like two minutes later, I sent you another (laughs) version because it was like brand new. Yeah. Because I just thought, you know, I want to write something that's 
speaks to that. And I'm going through a quote unquote withdrawal from a right. crush right now. Yeah. Tell. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's obvious from the poem, so I'll read it. It's called Third Party. I peel you like an apple that's crispy and sweet. She gets the first bite and the last. I savor the luscious aroma of the roasting rind. You nuzzle at her neck to trace yesterday's perfume. I swear you're subtweeting me, or our minds are tangoing in a quantum entanglement with a level of complexity escaping the comprehension of human geniuses. In six years of post-history, Suddenly, she's becoming your pinup doll, underscored by superlative captions. My teeth don't care about the time my brain wastes exaggerating the nuance of your every action. They give zero fucks about your guilt-laden overpraising and my eyes catching the frosty distance emanating from nice-making poses. They're tired of watching our exercise of purity testing to prove our bona fides as decent folks in substandard times. They just want to rip into that juicy flesh before oxidation sets in, as my mind romances itself with idyllic globe-trotting and philosophical jaunts reaching the furthest depth of the universe. That was amazing. <laughs> that was so amazing. <laughs> wow, yeah. So there are a couple things that I super love about this poem. Like, I'm actually writing a collection called Crave, mm -hmm. which is all about, like, desiring people that, like, you can't really have. Or, oh, yeah. Um, so, like, <laughs> so, like we're, we're very much in conversation yeah, yeah, with yeah. this third-party poem. Yeah, I just feel like these lines kind of, like, telescope me into, like, the heart of the desire, you know? Like, mm. you, like there's something about, like, that person having the first and the last piece mm -hmm. where it's, like, you're denied having a complete experience because right. this person is, like interrupting or like standing in the way mm -hmm. and you know there's there's this like expectation that they're having this experience and like you have to be nice to them you know <laughs> <laughs> you know like I feel like there's that thing in the back of your mind like you're kind of saying something that like feels forbidden to like say you know yeah yeah and I, I don't know if it comes across of me trying so hard to just be decent <laughs> <laughs> moral and ethical and all of these things yeah yeah <laughs> and, yeah and i felt the same with your poem as well it's you know when you said somewhere in me is the photographer making a corpse of this moment because it's hard enough to find someone to love my earth color and it's just like especially now that you explain your relationship with the white girl or the mm. white woman yeah I'm like, but why but why <laughs> right because she certainly didn't stop you from continuing whatever it is that you mm, have with him. Yeah. You know, he didn't have to just be one booty call. He could mm. have been a series of booty calls. Mm -hmm. you know? <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> I mean, we're not even getting into love. Forget that. Let's just talk about the flesh. <laughs> so, and this is similar in the sense, but... I don't even have that experience as you because mm -hmm. you had the physical encounter with him. Mm -hmm. This is a celebrity crush that I feel incredibly guilty about. <laughs> like, <laughs> at my age, given my experience, this is not okay. And it's yeah. lasted as long as it has. Mm -hmm. I'm just like, what the hell, man? 
<laughs> yeah, and um, there were some other things that I super loved about the poem. This idea of like the teeth having agency, like mm-hmm. my teeth don't care about the time my brain wastes. Mm-hmm. You know, and I, I felt this kind of like through the poem, this extraordinary tension between like what your mind wants to do and like what your instincts are. Yeah, yeah. You know, because yeah. it's like the teeth. Like, right when you get into the teeth, like, that's already very instinctual. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But then, like, the end of the poem is, like, you go back up into the mind, you know? Mm-hmm. Like, the mind is having this, like, restless jaunt, globe-trotting. Right. Yeah, so I, I just felt that tension between, like, living in your mind and, like, in your body. Yeah. You know? But it's also, one also reinforces the other, mm. right? Because my mind is what's making the crush last. Mm-hmm. My teeth is what I want to do to him, like right now. Oh, he yeah. was in front of me. <laughs> right, yeah, yeah. So, and there, in every stanza, I talk a little bit about things that are. There's a lot of stop and go, stop and go, stop and go, mm. and it's never fully like on full throttle go. And again, in comparison to yours, where you had, you did have this experience with him, yeah. yet there is some discomfort as well in terms of just. You know, you talk about platitudes and things like that, which only happen in, you think of it happening in small talk mm-hmm. and in connections that are more on the surface. So I was, yeah, talk about that. I was <laughs> wondering about that as well. Because, I mean, you did you never saw him again, yet something about the experience warranted a poem. Yeah, I think, like, it was just the intense guilt that I felt for, like, this small moment of subterfuge. Like, this small <laughs> moment of, like, of just, like, you know, I told a white lie, but, like, it could have changed everything. Like, he could have not hooked up with me. You know, like, he, mm-hmm. well, and, and you know, and if my friend had shown up, like, earlier, right, right, right. or, like, had shown up right. at all, and, you know, like, that, that would have also been a problem. <laughs> um, right. So there's a shared element with my poem as well, where a lot of it is live in our minds, right? Mm-hmm. There, because he didn't necessarily feel the same way yeah. about it as you do. And in writing the poem post the incident, it's your analysis of it, it's your reflection of it, so it's your filter of it. And mine is also, it's my filter of this, I don't know how he feels. And really, I mean, this mm. quantum entanglement sounds all wonderful and stuff. But, but, you know, I don't know if this is true. It's just a coincidence or things like that. That's, I mean, that's also part of what I was saying mm-hmm. as well. Is like awareness on certain uh, different levels. And also a bit, I don't know if there was guilt in mine. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I have. I actually have a question about your piece because one thing I noticed is that, like my own, it's also very conversational. Like it mm-hmm. sounds like you could be having a conversation with someone, and I wonder, like, who is your imagined audience for for that poem? Like, who, like it's him. I think mm. it's him. It's mm. the things that I probably wouldn't want to say <laughs> <laughs> or wouldn't dare to say. But I really, I do want to say it to him. So this is, in a way, this poem is a safe way of saying it. Mm -hmm. Because, again, I don't know who he is. I don't know the person. I, You know, with celebrity crushes, you never know who you're looking at, whether you're looking at just their their public image or actually, I mean, there's a connection between the public and the private, but you don't know 
what extent, right? Mm-hmm. So, and, and it could be very dangerous, especially given, you know, all of these things that's come out of the Me Too movement. You know that certain celebrities will absolutely use their fame oh, yeah. to leverage to get a piece whenever they can. <laughs> you know? And so it, it could be, especially as a woman, it's, it, it feels very vulnerable to say these things. But still, obviously, I was just like, fuck it, I'm just going to say it. <laughs> And the reason why I named the third party is because again, there's this other person around. Mm, Yeah. That in my poem, I'm sort of blaming for this thing not happening. Though obviously, it's it's, even in the poem itself, it's kind of obvious. It's not really that she's (laughs) not really the reason. (laughs) Like, and for yours as well, it almost feels like she has. Row and shortening this whatever relationship mm-hmm. that you could have had. Yeah. So. <laughs> Are we going to blame her? No, no. <laughs> no, absolutely not. No, it's my fault. It's my fault. It's okay. We, we haven't said her name. Blame her all you want. No. <laughs> <laughs> Tell me about that. Oh, the earth color? Um, the corpse. The, why did yeah. you feel like you had to do that? I mean, there was obviously this going back, this referencing of him being a grave digger. There's the mm-hmm. artistic choice. But what about what's behind that? Yeah, so like somewhere in me is the photographer making a corpse of this moment. They're just like kind of like a f- bunch of different ideas that I'm trying to like pack in. And, mm-hmm. um, One of them is poetry has always been used as this medium of, like, making a moment eternal, right? Yes. Making the the person that you desire or, like, the beloved one, like, last a millennia. There's that (laughs) aspect of it. But, like, also, like, I'm the photographer making a corpse of this moment. Like, like a poem kind of pales in comparison to the actual experience also, right? Oh, yeah. And then there's also the last line, because it's hard enough to find someone to love my earth color. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of like a little bit of a, a reflection on like race and colorism. Right, right. Just because like, that's something like I face in my like daily experience mm-hmm. and trying to date people is like, you know, colorism is, is a problem in the gay community. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, community. Yeah. So, yeah. <laughs> in all communities, it is a problem. It really is. It is a problem. And it's so subtle as well and it's self-enforced in many ways in in each community and we don't necessarily because the larger issue of inter-community racism Mm -hmm. is not addressed Mm -hmm. this more subtle intra-community racism is even less even more like buried problem I I think like the colorism also I don't know, I just feel this intense internal pressure to be, like, an extra successful person, you know? Like, yeah. you know, because it's, like, you're, you're kind of, like, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know how to, like, really go into it, but. But it feels like it's almost like a way of, quote, unquote, making up for yes, your darkness. Exactly. Which is so unfair. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, because. The darker skin just means that your body is better able to deal with sunlight. <laughs> yeah, you know? That's all it means. Yeah. yeah, and it's actually a positive 
because you know it's it's not a preventative for skin cancer unfortunately i said to my <laughs> a pretty dark friend once uh-huh. i was like God, wouldn't it be wonderful if you can just say, well, I'm black and I can't get skin cancer. <laughs> you know, it would be yeah. so wonderful to it be just be. able to just say that. Yeah. And, say, and there, so there, you know, because it really is um, this adaptive mechanism that our bodies developed over millennia. Mm-hmm. It's this wonderful thing, yet our rationalizational mind, what we think of as the intellectual sense, center is the one that's making us feel bad about having that ability yeah having that positive ability yeah survival ability which i'm just like what the hell's wrong with that (laughs) you know yeah well when you put it that way it makes me feel a lot better about myself and so i may not need a therapist to deal with my colorism you're welcome i'll send you my bill yes please This is great stuff. <laughs> good, good, good. I'm glad. I'm glad to hear that. Honestly, it just doesn't really doesn't make any sense to me. There's a lot of books on association with lighter color with better social econ- economics because mm-hmm. you know you have the leisure to never be in, have to work in the sun and so you don't get dark and things like that. And now these days it's been flipped because. You have the leisure time and the money to go mm. to Central Pay and get your suntan. And so, if you're uh, actually a, a lighter, you're of Northern European descent, but you have the ability to get tan, you're considered richer, more well to do. So, there's a lot of social economics that's tied to skin color. Yeah. For a lot of the culture, it's still how white can you go? Yeah. <laughs> but for especially like Western European, it's become more how tan can you go? Mm. Because I have the leisure tan time to go to the Caribbean or Central yeah. Pay and go yeah. to all these like <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, places. that connection to affluence is really interesting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. it's been it's been talked about. Um, like Veblen wrote something, uh, I think in the beginning of the twentieth century about leisure how people show wealth through leisure and and it's tied to the publishing world as well mm-hmm. because the publishing world came about as like a leisure activity for yeah. the wealthy and yeah. the well to do well let me tell you something a little dark <laughs> yeah i actually met with a vp from one of the big five companies i was trying to get like a full-time job and like right. that really wasn't working out and she told me um you know publishing is an industry that hires predominantly white upper mm-hmm. middle class yeah. and like she had she just laid it out just like that yeah yeah and i was just like I need to go. <laughs> like, <laughs> I need to do something else. At least um, she's being honest. Yeah. With Most people won't even come out and say that. A lot of people who are going into publishing don't even know about that. Yeah. How yeah. it came about as a business. The same with the nonprofit industry. It's for, you know, for housewives of really rich men. Yeah. And there are like really huge implications to that because, yes. you know, like, we're having this moment where like a lot of like people of color um, poets are like coming into vogue and like doing right. work that's just amazing, but they're still being highlighted by these like white editors who decide when. Yeah. You know, and yeah. like I can't even imagine what it's like to send in a bu- bilingual poem, right, and mm-hmm. have it judged by someone who like doesn't speak Spanish. Mm-hmm, 
-hmm. You know, like, how could that person be qualified to judge the literary merit of a poem that, like, you know, transgresses that kind of boundary? Right, right. And it's it's really interesting because, like, when you talk about, like, a flood of amazing poets from all these diverse communities, yet the judging committees is still made of these predominantly European um, yeah. people of European descent, white European descent. And mm -hmm. they get to say which one of our narratives gets to be represented. <laughs> yeah. And who becomes the token. And therefore, who becomes the next step in the stereotype. Mm -hmm. because and let me tell you, it's probably someone who behaves. <laughs> you know, to them. To yeah, them. yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and, and it's really interesting. And, and I was thinking about how I myself select people. How do I select people, the mm. process, how ingrained it is, how parallel it is to that process as well. It's really interesting, right? Because no matter what, if you are a gatekeeper, then your perspective is always there. Your view of the world is always there. Yeah. But if you are not forced to self-examine, like a lot of the big publishing companies, they're so successful. They have so much of the market that they don't have to. Yeah, think about those things. Yeah. yeah. And I think now they're forced to a little bit because of self-publishing. But at the same time, I, I, I still don't feel like it's at the same point as like the music industry. As Tanner mm -hmm. and I actually discussed, because mm -hmm. he comes from the music industry. Mm -hmm. Since you recently worked in the publishing industry, I don't... How long were you there for? I was interning throughout my time in undergrad and like kind of beyond. So like I would say like around six or seven years yeah. of like, yeah. So that's a good amount of time. Do you feel like you've seen some change or shift while you were there? Yeah, I think like there there is a huge shift on like having more diversity, mm -hmm. having more diversity. But yeah, yeah, that's, that's about, <laughs> yeah, I don't know. So it's yeah. more like having diversity on a skin deep level. I think a lot of like, a lot of like the smaller like opinion-based websites have like shifted the what's like in vogue right mm. because there are a lot of essays about like coming out about like you know even just people going into their own experiences as like people of color like i think there's it's it's emblematic of a wider like cultural shift towards like we're now shining light on like all these experiences that like didn't even have a chance to breathe and right. um i think publishing is like following the lead of like wherever this like cultural paradigm is right, right yeah so having having young interns come in does make a difference i feel right i mean somewhat <laughs> i don't know <laughs> well, you tell me because you know both from your own experience as well as you watching the the different classes of interns that come in every day mm -hmm. right mm -hmm. because they encounter a different cultural phenomenon mm -hmm. in each generation mm -hmm. Yeah. And and even for Americans of European, white European descent, it's similar because I was in publishing as well, but not okay. as long as you were. And but I also saw the younger generations, the people who don't come from money, who are who want to be in publishing, who enjoy that uh, industry, struggling because again, it's like <laughs> they pay so little. Yeah. <laughs> it's such yeah. a pathetic I mean the the fact that I couldn't afford anything was the one of the major reasons why I left the industry. Yeah. And I mean, just like, if you don't look at how people are trying to survive on that, then of course you're not going to pull in diversity because people can't afford it. Yeah. You know, and even if you do pull in diversity in terms of just skin deep diversity, you're 
still going to get a similar outlook because it's similar economics that's at work. Mm-hmm. And so if you have the money, you can do it. Yeah, for years and years, and yeah. like you, hopefully you land a job. <laughs> yeah, the, yeah, yeah. And yeah. then then stories like that guy who that white guy who became so popular, he he became he got published his novels, and it turned out that he was just lying all the time. He was taking other people's stories. It was like a couple of years ago or last year, I think. That wasn't the Oprah one, right? That was a long time ago. (laughs) This was recent. Yeah. Um, He's really popular. Hmm. I'm terrible. (laughs) I wish I was one of those encyclopedic (laughs) minds where I can say, and blah, 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 blah. Yeah, he became incredibly popular. He apparently lied about his uh, certain conditions. Mm. I think maybe a sickness or something. And then he got a lot of empathy, and he, I think it was like Penguin or Random House, one of the major ones, who gave him a platform to publish his novel, and he somehow ended up becoming this pretty senior person on the total. It's frustrating. Yeah, yeah, was earning a shit ton of money, and very quickly just climbing up the ladder and through some of these lies. Hmm. And then it all kind of fell down recently because he was pretending to be his brother wow that is convoluted (laughs) yes yes it's really crazy it's like a novel in itself it was crazy because it's amidst this conversation of needing more diverse voices in the industry here's this white guy who's cheating his way up which is (laughs) making people so angry yeah That is so funny. Yeah, but you didn't hear of it. No, I didn't. It was this year. I must have been writing in a corner. (laughs) Yeah, you were probably like really busy trying to get into this program. I was, yeah. yeah, It was a terrifying experience. What? What do you mean? (laughs) You know, to send out your poems and to just be like, well, you know, I'm at a dead-end job, and if this doesn't work out, I don't know what's going to happen. Right, right, right. And, um, yeah, because I I made the leap to... um, I was working as a career advisor at a community college, mm-hmm. but they wouldn't give me a full-time job without a master's degree. Yeah. Yeah, so I was like, oh, you know, I might as well just apply to fully funded programs. Well, you should have moved to Arizona because they need people like you and they don't care if you have a master's or not. That's awesome. <laughs> so, if you still want to invest time in that, and, I, yeah, yeah, you, totally. you might want to look into it because they did. There, there's such a lack of uh, qualified teachers that... Mm-hmm. Um, there's a little bit more laxed in terms of pre-qualifications. But That's good yeah. to know. Yeah, yeah, but I know in, in New York, New Jersey, the, you have to oh, yeah, uh, teach what, high schoolers. Yeah, yeah except if you're Jeffrey Epstein. Then right, yeah. Oh, my yeah. God. <laughs> <laughs> then you can be a college dropout and wear a Harvard t-shirt and come on to teenage girls or boys. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's really insane. Amidst the stories, amidst our efforts of getting our voices represented, to see these powerful men, especially white, cheat their way up and get away with it for years. Yeah, yeah. There was someone actually. Um, I was working at. I was I was an intern at the Paris Review, um, 
and they had this editor, his name was Lauren Stein, and mm-hmm. um, he just got recently, like maybe two years ago, outed by a list about like men in the media who like, you know, um, take advantage with their like positions and stuff. And they, mm-hmm. I think it was like, there was a writer that he was having a relationship with, and then when she like broke things off, he like wouldn't publish her, but like it was an ongoing thing where he would use like the Paris Review office to like, you know, conduct his uh, <laughs> extra, extra little. <laughs> wow. Yeah, but he's not. On. He's not like. He's a, ousted though now. Right, but he's not an outlier. Liar. That's the thing. Yeah, he's not. He's not. Yeah, an and it's throughout the industry. It's not just in in media or in publishing. Yeah, it's pervasive. It's, yeah, it's yeah. just it's very much the the sort of like patriarchal system, like straight. <laughs> <laughs> Especially, yeah. yeah. I don't know if you heard about what happened with Placido Domingo. So he was out of 20 women that accused him of improper behavior. Uh, but the New York Met, the director of it, wouldn't really do anything. Mm-hmm. He was like, oh, but his story was not proven or something because it was broken by the AP. Mm-hmm. The fucking AP! <laughs> okay? <laughs> We're not talking about some dinky newspaper. It's like they're gonna have a source, like, a Google <laughs> that they're gonna check rigorously, yeah. like... The AP! Yeah, yeah. Like, come on. Yeah, be- <laughs> he was saying, oh, because it was not published by the New York Times, his dad used to work for the New York Times. I was like, God, that guy needs a slap across his face <laughs> if anyone ever deserved one. It's, it was insane. and yeah. And so the musicians and all the people the, the artists at new york metropolitan opera was really ticked off mm-hmm. because they had come out really strongly against another musical director who was dilly-dallying with uh, young men mm-hmm. so that was like quickly dealt with obviously he didn't have the status of classical domingo but still they just felt like it was a total hypocrisy yeah. 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 But well, he he's now out of that. Um, he's no longer performing. I think he had some shows of Hamlet that he basically bowed out of. But Europe is still allowing him to tour. Yeah, it's just disgusting. It's just, <laughs> all of it is just so disgusting. Their their reign is coming to an end soon. I don't know. I, I don't hope. know. I feel like we need to always be vigilant about mm. it, and I feel like. The Me Too movement is wonderful, yet it misses a lot of the nuances because, mm. you know, Time's Up is mainly about workplace harassment, yet it happens throughout our lives. And the same with the LGBTQ community as well. It happens throughout one's lives. And because we have so few representatives, sometimes we almost do not out those people because then we wouldn't have them as representatives. Mm-hmm. I mean, thinking of like the Cosby case, it's like he should have been gone so long ago, yet because he was like one of the only ones well-known, there was a lot of bending over backwards to allow him to victimize people over and over and over again. Mm-hmm. I don't even know how we got <laughs> <laughs> Well, we've given them enough time and attention. (laughs) Going back to our poet. Yeah. (laughs) Oh, we talked about leisurely. Oh, yeah. All that. 
wow, we really went on. A... We did. We <laughs> yeah, did. Yeah, this but was amazing. <laughs> I think they have something to do with each other, right? Mm. It's a lot of tone deafness that comes from having different kinds of privilege, like intersectional privilege. Yeah. Yeah. So, as I said, I really loved your poem and that you talked about this experience, but then. There's that layering, and and again, I was just like, who is she? (laughs) (laughs) As I said in the beginning, he obviously warranted a poem. So, do you want to tell us a little bit about him? Oh, he's a grave digger. I mean, oh yeah, he was just a very beautiful guy. (laughs) 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 I like. I don't know much about him other than he was a grave digger and. He needed to, you know, go get back to work the next day. Oh, <laughs> oh. <laughs> yeah, it was a very, very um, short-lived thing. I was, I was actually inspired by jazz mm. with this piece because, okay. like, I was, I was reading this book out of like the Harlem Renaissance, and I had to like creatively respond to it. Mm-hmm. And um, you know, I just remembered like, oh, like the Harlem Renaissance, like they were super interested in jazz. So I started listening to just like Miles Davis and all that mm-hmm. stuff. And yeah, music had a really important effect on me. Yeah, reading this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. funny. You don't mention the book. Oh well, Bill well, Evans. Bill Evans. Yeah. Bill <laughs> yeah. Evans, exactly that. <laughs> and I didn't get a chance to look up um, to go Google Bill Evans. Mm. Sounds familiar. What? What? Pianist, jazz pianist. Um, yeah. There's a lot of jazz going on here. There's a lot of music <laughs> yeah. going on here. Yeah, in Phoenix, in the yeah. future? Oh, yeah, what's yeah. going on? Nash has uh, placed jazz. I mean, they're like one of the main venues for that, but there's all kinds of musical events mm. going on. But the Nash is definitely one place if you want to hear jazz. The Scottsdale Community College has a jazz band. Wow, that's amazing. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And, and just you should just go, just look at their campus because it's gorgeous. It's yeah. like you you've noticed how gorgeous the sunsets are here. Right? Oh yeah, absolutely. It's like what's it's in the air? There. What's in the yeah. air? It's so gorgeous. Yeah. But if you go to the Scottsdale uh, Community College and also Phoenix College has a, I think a jazz band as well. They have jazz performances. Mm-hmm. So y- you can definitely like go to all of them and see all the musical events and sometimes they have some really famous people come through since dove into jazz music yeah. if you want to continue. Yeah, you do. Yeah, yeah. yeah. First Friday you should check out. Have you checked Yeah, out? I need to go. I need yes, to go. Yes. Yeah, I haven't been there yet. It's amazing. There's some artistic, uh, I think most of musical acts going on. Mm-hmm. There's a hip-hop festival here. There's just, it's a lot. <laughs> and it's what made me decide to move here. Mm-hmm. You were telling me the same thing. Then. Yeah, the cultural scene is... I just never expected to meet so many like artists. Yeah. You know? like, yeah. yeah. I feel inundated <laughs> in a great way. And yeah. like the, the community feels a lot, a lot more supportive than like in New York. You know, oh, like right. trying to write in New York, I think it would have been an impossibility for me just mm-hmm. because, I mean, it's New York. Like people are very careerist. People are yeah. very clicky. And there's, <sighs> New York isn't as beautiful as Arizona. <laughs> so, like, <laughs> So, like, I need that sense of, like, beauty from the landscape to, right. you know. Right, yeah. It's, get me thinking, you know. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, New York has its own spots, right? But it's not, it doesn't have the guaranteed beautiful sense that definitely not. Yeah. 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 It's just, like, 
Honestly, every day, I, if I'm lucky enough to be out around like five, six o'clock, I'm just like, this is the sweat. Like we're so lucky. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Honestly, I don't know what gases are in the air that's making it just so gorgeous each night. I feel so lucky. <laughs> but so in closing, I was wondering if you can tell us a little bit like where can we see you read and how do we follow you? Ooh, so I will be reading at the Desert Nights Symposium, the Rising Star Desert Nights Conference. Cool. Oh gosh, I wish I had the exact date for this. Oh, I know. <laughs> yeah. February 22nd. Oh yeah, February 22nd. And um, 23rd, I think. Yeah, so if you check the Piper Center website, the Virginia G. Piper Center for right. Creative Writing website, you can see what's on the agenda. I'll be reading as part of the Volta Mentorship reading oh. event. So it's me and a few other ASU students. Yeah, and then, yeah, I don't really have an online presence right now. I should, this is going to motivate me to, like, make a Twitter. <laughs> make a Twitter. Yeah, I'll make a Twitter. Be, and, be a stereotypical writer and yeah, be on Twitter. I will. So you can yeah, vent. I think, That's yes. What I <laughs> <laughs> so thank you very much. I really appreciate having the time to chat with you about this. Thank you so much for having me. This was so amazing. <laughs> I'm sure you'll be happy to hear that Julian does have a Twitter account now, and the handle is Julian is a poet. As always, you can follow us at poetsandmuses.com and on social media via Instagram, Twitter, as well as SoundCloud under Poets and Muses. You can also subscribe to our weekly newsletter either at poetsandmuses.com or on the upper right hand side of the Poets and Muses SoundCloud page. I'm your host, Imogen A-Rate. Thank you very much for listening. I hope you have a wonderful week, and I look forward to bringing you another episode next Sunday.